Welcome to The Collector's Show. I'm Harold Nickel, the host of The Collector's Show. Thank you for joining us this week on Web Talk Radio. Three fabulous segments this week on the program, in addition to the news, which will come up momentarily. Scott Benjamin, who is an author, magazine publisher, and expert on petroleum collectibles, is our first guest in the interview segments of the show. And Scott has written, I want to say, 16 books on petroleum collectibles and also edits a magazine about the same topic. And you may be saying, well, what are petroleum collectibles? Well, it's not different types of oil, but it's different types of things that came from old service stations. Everything from signs to toys that they offered as uh, promotional premiums and globes. Remember the old glass globes that used to be on top of gas uh, pumps? Well, Scott is an expert in those, and he's going to be sharing his expertise with us. In the first interview segment, Andy Zito, who is an expert on snow globes and snow globe collecting, will be with us. And Andy not only has a huge collection, he owns over 8,000 snow globes, but he also has a very important piece, a very historic snow globe that he's going to describe to us how he bought it for a very low price, where it came from, all of that coming up in the first interview segment. And then the return of the found collectible of the week with Heather Gallegos. Heather, back after successfully battling the flu, will be talking with us about Native American art. So don't go away, you'll want to hear that. First, of course, the news segment. Um, in a release from Numismaster, which is a website devoted to coin collecting, they are warning coin collectors about counterfeits and even going so far as to claim that counterfeit coins are going to kill the hobby of coin collecting. And they describe in the article how coins are being successfully counterfeited. Even the cases that they come in are being successfully counterfeited and they're being sold to collectors on the internet and through and via some popular auction sites. You know which one's that I mean, and they are saying that the only way to know if a coin is real, not counterfeit, is to buy them from the U.S. Mint. And they say that even the coins that have been graded and slabbed have been counterfeited. So for the average collector, not to be taken is to collect from the U.S. Mint and to pull coins from circulation. So what that means is get your coins from, um, oh, like the quarter machines where you take and you get your change. We've had coin collectors on the show before who owned several of these and would spend time getting famous coins or uh, worthwhile coins out of those. But they recommend against buying coins on auction sites. In case you missed it, Elvis would have been 75 years old back on the 8th of January. And there was a lot of news about different Elvis collections. I thought I'd tell you about one that if you have the time and uh, the ability to go, that you could go see other than Graceline. And it's about a woman whose name is Laura Hughes. And she was 10 years old in 1956 when she tuned in the Ed Sullivan Show to watch Elvis Presley perform. So from that day forward, she started collecting Elvis memorabilia. And starting last week, the best of her collection was put on display free to the public at the Jefferstown Historical Museum. The exhibit kicked off in time for Elvis' birthday, which, as I mentioned, was the 8th of January, when he would have been 75 had he not passed away in August of 1977. You've got plenty of time to go see this because the exhibit will be through June the 11th. And just for uh, the sake of clarity, the Jefferson Town museum is located in louisville kentucky so if you're into elvis and you're near jefferson town go check out one of the biggest and best privately owned elvis collections that there is now we always talk about the different facets of different types of collections and you'll remember or maybe you won't that when we first started the show we had a man on who collected fountain pens and learned from him that the types of pens that he collected had belonged to different famous people or represented some kind of a leap in technology or the technology that was involved with the fountain pen. Well, there's a man in Germany 
who collects promotional pens from newspapers. And he sent a special thank you to a newspaper in the United Kingdom, the Hounslow Guardian, for sending him his 400th newspaper pen. And that's really hard to say, newspaper pen. Um, He has them sorted by countries and has built a rack for all of his pens that is on display in his home. And he says, I'm happy about every ballpoint pen I get from the newspapers. The newspaper fan lists all the pens he owns alphabetically and by country. His collection has hit the headlines and papers across the world, including the United States, Sweden, and even Wales. He says, thank you for the nice pen. I received them today, and I am happy that I can enlarge my collection with this pen. So if you collect pens or anything, there's a lot more to it than just types and fountain and ink. You can collect souvenir pens. I've also known people who collected keychains that companies issued as promotional items. We will never run out of stuff to talk about on The Collector's Show. And I don't know if you saw this last week or not, but I did. I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons, as listeners of the show know. Um, there was a guy who was on the 20th anniversary program uh, about The Simpsons who lives in also in the U.K., Bristol. And they featured his collection on The Simpsons' 20th anniversary program. And he owns 30,000 different pieces of Simpson memorabilia. It's worth, or no, not what it's worth, but what he paid for it was around like $85,000. And it's, as you can imagine, taken up his whole attic and they showed it. And it was very, very impressive. I would love to find a way to get him on the program, but they don't describe uh, or they don't give um, any way to, to get in touch with him. And we've tried doing Simpsons collectible shows before, but haven't had any success in that. And another thing I'm trying to find for us on this program is Mattel has a new line of WWE figures that are going to be collectible. WWE, of course, stands for the World Wrestling Entertainment Company. And Mattel introduced, I want to say two weeks ago, uh, a whole new line of wrestling figures. And I'm going to try to find somebody that will come on and talk about that for us. But meanwhile, stay tuned. Andy Zito, the snow globe collector, followed by Scott Benjamin, the gas station memorabilia collector, and then Heather Gallegos with the found collectible of the week. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for more of the collector show here on Web Talk Radio. This interview segment of The Collector's Show is with a man who is an expert in the area of snow globes. And I don't know what made me think of doing a segment on snow globes other than it's winter and it's very snowy here in mid-Michigan in January. But Andy Zito, who is an expert on collecting snow globes. And Andy, welcome to The Collector's Show. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I know that... um, Snow globes, at least in years past, were popular souvenirs, but there's more to them than that. Give us an idea of how the whole snow globe thing got started. Uh, well, they they evolved through um, in the eighteen uh, late eighteen eighties um, through the evolution of coming from um, paperweights mm-hmm. in France. Um, there was a lot of uh, there was a rise in letter writing, mm. and so there was a lot of uh, uh, paperweights issued, and from that came um, an interest in glass items. So um, around 1887, the first snow globe was invented in France, and a couple of years later, at the Paris Exposition, it was issued officially as a souvenir. Um, to commemorate the Eiffel Tower and the exposition in Paris. Right. I think um, if memory serves, the Eiffel Tower and the the Paris World's Fair that year were uh, both kind of together, so it makes sense that they'd want to have something unique as a remembrance of that event. So that's how the first one came about. Yeah, it was a simple design with a 3D replica of the Eiffel Tower. 
and uh, and it was inside a leaded glass globe mm -hmm. with uh, an early version of snow, which was uh, what? Which was it could have been uh, crushed bone or there's all kinds of different materials they experimented with. I don't know what the first snow was made of. Mm -hmm. Crushed bone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there um, are porcelain, crushed porcelain. Mm -hmm. Uh, things like that. Um, and on the outside, it had a, a gold de decal saying Paris. Uh-huh. Um, and it was adhered to a, a cube-like marble base. Mm-hmm. Um, How many of those are still around, Andy? Do we know? There's only two known. I have one, and uh, another collector in Germany has one. Get out. You have oh, one. Excuse me? I say uh, that's. Uh, I said, get out that you have one. That's so cool. <laughs> now, how did you come to own one of the original snow globes? Um, well, I've been looking. It's, it was on my want list for a long time. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking on um, uh, eBay, uh, all the different eBays. Okay. Uh, U.S., um, uh, England, France, Italy, uh, Canada, and Australia. They all have separate eBay sites. Right. So, and I also have a, a trading partners in, in a couple of those countries. So did you find the original piece on eBay or did it? Yes, it was on um, eBay France about six months ago. And I was fortunate enough to be the high bidder. And you don't mind if we ask you what you paid for it? Or do you? Uh, it was a uh, it wasn't too extravagant. It was only maybe $120, $125 in that area. Did you consider that to be a real steal? Um, yeah, like in France, uh, it's, it's unusual. In France and Germany, they don't put high values on snow domes and snow globes, even if, even if they're rare. Hmm. Um, Italy is an exception, and England is an exception. They, they get very pricey there. Hmm. But I, I was very fortunate with that and, and a number of other um, rare snow globes from France. So I would have it uh, uh, I would have it shipped to my friend in France, and after he'd get a number of them, maybe fifty or so, he would send me a big package. <laughs> and if you're just joining us here on the Collector Show, we're talking with Andy Zito, who we've just learned owns one of the very first snow globes ever manufactured, which um, I think is one of the few times on the Collector Show we've broken news like that. Um, and So uh, now as a an expert collector and somebody who knows a lot about snow globes, what do you do if you want to start a snow globe collection? What would be... I don't know, the top three or four things a novice collector would want to do to start a good collection. Um, well, I'll start, I'll start slow and uh, get a hold of... There are some, there are some books written on it. Mm -hmm. um, and find some books on the subject, read them, and make a decision as to what you want to specialize in because at, at the very early stages... Um, you can be daunted by how, how many there are, how right. many different categories of them there are. And, you know, we hear uh, things like that about other types of similar collectibles, like, um, well, baseball cards are my favorite example, where not just collect a certain, not just collect every card, but collect a certain team or collect a certain player. So it sounds like snow globes, that there are similar kinds of decisions to make. What What are some of the types of snow globes you might look at to start a collection? Uh, well, of course, the souvenir, uh, souvenir snow domes, you know, given given away at the uh, places you visit. Right. Uh, and then they're issued for different holidays. Of course, Christmas being the obvious one. Right. And uh, Halloween, Valentine's Day, and Easter are probably the other uh, holidays they're issued at. You'll see them in different stores like uh, Target or Walmart or places like that. Now, are those, um, sorry, are those items that you'd buy at a Walmart, are those considered collectibles? Or if you just wanted to focus on a certain holiday, that's a good place to go 
start looking? Uh, it's a good place to go if you're interested in um, if if you're interested in a more in a, in a decorative sense. Right. But uh, the older um, collectibles are 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 not found in stores, of course, anymore. That, that even even a lot of the um, antique and collectible stores they have them, but uh, most people are are listing them on eBay. Now a lot of dealers and collectors, so that's a, that's the best place to look for them is on eBay. And do you have to spend a lot of money to have a good snow globe collection? No, uh, the um, you can you can get small collections on eBay and and save quite a bit of money, and also on the shipping of them. You can ship you know ten to fifty at one time. Uh, if there are not really rare ones in a in a grouping, um, you can find them from say ten to twenty dollars. Mm. Uh, and if they're rare, then they start going up in price uh, dramatically. But the common examples, like say something from Washington D.C. or New York City, right. Niagara Falls is another common place. Um, they're not going to be that expensive. Because there were many types, uh, many in, in many forms issued. I remember snow globes from Stuckey's. Have you ever seen those? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've never seen one from that actually said Stuckey's inside it. Or uh, I, I, I'd love to have one. Boy, man, I me too. It. It'd be fun to have just to remember stopping at Stuckey's for a pecan log and a snow globe. Now one of the yeah, things well, I came across country and went went back and forth across uh, from New York to California several times, mm. and I do remember those signs that said Stuckey's uh, next in ten miles or something. Every every kid in America that grew up in the '60s or uh, or the '70s stopped at Stuckey's or insisted that their parents stop at a Stuckey's. Um, yeah. Now one of the things that I was curious about with the older snow globes and and later on we'll talk about what how they're filled and what the new snow is but if you own one of the older ones it would seem to me that that water would have been the the media inside what happens when the water evaporates um well there are two kinds um some that are refillable and others that are sealed mhm uh, even some plastic versions uh, can come sealed. Uh, with the refillable ones, they have plugs on the bottom. Right. As, it, uh, as even some of the old ones, the plugs get a little stubborn to take out of, but most of them will, will come out. And uh, just refill with um, a plastic. Uh, I use a plastic applicator bottle with a, uh, a pointed uh, nozzle top on it. And you can just stick it in there and fill it up with water? Uh, yeah, and you have to use distilled water, ah. or else it'll it'll promote. Uh, it could could allow some funny things to start growing in there. Yeah, this algae and so forth that you can uh, find in some of the older vintage plastic ones. Uh, that never would have occurred to me that algae would grow on the inside. I would have thought maybe uh, if it was non-distilled water, you'd have mineral deposits, but algae—that's yucky. Yeah. That's that's usually what's in there is little bits of algae, um, and I I get those out with a, a long thin needle with a with a curved end, and I use it like a fishing hook. Okay, well that makes sense. I pull those out. So for the uh, the fills on the on the nicer water uh, snow globes that you see these days, and I I've seen them where they are, uh, oh you know there are music boxes and they turn and they're really works of art, but in those upper-end globes, it seems like they'll have glitter as the snow, and it will seem to fall very slowly. How do they manage that? Oh, that's uh, um, either glycerin uh, or some sort of uh, uh, a liquid that mixes with water, mm -hmm. and it, uh, it just increases the suspension level. Okay. So the the snow will or glitter will fall slower. And glycerin's not harmful. It's used in uh, household items, soap, detergent. Um, 
the bubbles that you get where you blow the bubbles, um, super bubble and things like that, that has glycerin in it to hold the, hold the bubble in suspension. So not harmful, just clear and no, kind no, of sticky. It's not, it's not harmful. I, I believe it's available. I've never done, uh, never gotten any to, uh, to use in restoring. I, I do a lot of my own restoration. Oh. Um, so, do you restore them for your own collection, or do you do this as a business for um, people? Um, yeah, mostly for my own collection. Um, and sometimes I will, if I get some that someone asks me to restore, I will do it. But there are uh, there's a couple of other uh, people that do that. That's all they do. Tell us about your website, and how can we find you online? Uh, the website is... Um, www.andyzito.com slash snowdomes. Snowdomes. And, and Zito is Z-I-T-O. That's correct. And give us that one more time so people can find you. It's uh, andyzito, A-N-D-Y-Z-I-T-O dot com slash snowdomes. And I can tell you that all I did was Google snow globes and Andy is close to the top on the first page on a Google search. So yeah. how big, yeah. Andy, is your collection of snow snow globes? Uh, I actually have now over 8,000. No kidding. Yeah, and it's uh, at or above uh, the largest collection now of anyone else in the world. No kidding. Yeah. See, that's another cool thing on the show. We've not only broken news that you own the first one, but you're the biggest collector in the world. That explains how you are so easy to find on Google because of uh, of that. Now, do you have a newsletter that you publish or a magazine or thing like that that uh, people could could subscribe to? I I don't have a newsletter, but I uh, there is a new website uh, that is it's maybe six months or a year uh, going. It's uh, I Antique Online. Um, and I was invited to be the moderator of uh, uh, the Vintage Snowdome Collectors Group. So I, I'm, uh, I've done that. I've already had a, a worldwide network of people I communicate communicate with um, uh, on an ongoing basis. Outstanding. So thanks for being on the show with us. The biggest collection of snow globes anywhere, and an example of one of the two very first ever manufactured right here on The Collector Show, Andy Zito. Thanks so much. And give us your website one more time so people can Absolutely. contact you. Um, AndyZito, A-N-D-Y-Z-I-T-O, dot com slash snowdomes, S-N-O-W-D-O-M-E-S. Outstanding. Thanks again for being on with us. And stay tuned, everybody, on The Collector Show here on Web Talk Radio. More to come right after this. In this week's interview segment, we're going to be talking with Scott Benjamin, who is an expert in the area of petroleum collectibles, and particularly the globes, the old glass globes that used to go on top of gasoline pumps. And Scott Benjamin, welcome to The Collector Show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Before we get too deeply into the conversation, I know that the area of petroleum collectibles, it was new for me and uh, likely is for a number of our listeners as well. Give us a little bit of background on on your hobby. Well, the hobby, uh, we don't have an exact date when it started. Um, I know I got involved in it in about 1973, 74. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there really wasn't much of a hobby. There were just a few collectors that... Um, you know, we're, we're putting some um, pieces together and, and starting to pick up some of this stuff. Um, you know, if you go back earlier than that, um, our hobby is pretty closely tied with the uh, automobile collectors. Um, and what you would have is, you know, like the uh, Hershey swap meet, uh, Carlisle swap meets in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, 
you would have uh, guys that you know have old uh, cars and, and stuff like that, and they would um, you know uh, you know strive or welcome to get a an old gas pump, put it next to their vehicle, and then eventually they'd have to get a globe for it. And um, I mean, so you can kind of push it back into the '60s, but those weren't like true petroleum collectors. They just wanted something for their uh, car. Mm-hmm. But um, I, uh, like I said, I got started in '73. There was just a handful of us collecting uh, around them. I, I am certainly not the first person, but but uh, one of the earlier ones. As things evolved uh, through the '70s and certainly into the early '80s. Um, there was a number of books that started coming out. Um, I'm actually a co-author um, with my partner, Wayne Henderson, on the book writing. Oh, cool. Uh, we've done about 13 or 14 books. But um, as the books started to come out, uh, the har- hobby started forming, you could say, some uh, swap meets uh, that were completely just devoted to the gas and oil collectible circuit uh, started to um, come about. And... Um, so, like I said, I can't have, put an exact date on it, but by the late 70s, early 80s, um, from a few collectors and involved, uh, evolved to probably uh, a few hundred and and, uh, and then a few thousand. And, okay, so... That, so that kind of gives you a little background. On sure, so, so when we talk about petroleum collectibles, what we're really talking about, and I know you'll correct me if this is wrong, but it's things that were used at, at gas stations. Is that pretty much a good way to look at it that would be uh that would be correct um and these are the ga- their- sorry these sorry. are the gas stations that where people would actually work there and come out and pump your gas and check your oil and it was a, as much a service because that's what they called it a service station whereas today you just go up and you have to put gas in your own car is that is that right that is correct yes yeah that was the uh the collectibles that we're looking for related to um you know, the petroleum industry would be, um, they would be found, um, um, or their last destination would be, the, you know, your local gas station. Um, in the early days, um, they're not so much there, certainly uh, these days, but in the early days, we would actually go to the oil company bulk plant, mm-hmm. and uh, they would have extra gas globes and mm. sometimes extra gas pumps and signage that, you know, they just had too much of. And uh, back in the 60s and 70s, um, if you were lucky enough to be looking for the stuff back then, you could go and just kind of clean these places out. Um, but uh, to answer your question, that is correct. Um, the, uh, your local service station would have been where you would find, um, you know, your uh, gas pumps, gas globes, signs, cans, maps, bottles, give, giveaways, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, I can remember, um, I'm not old enough to remember when they had the globes on the gas pumps, but I am old enough to remember when somebody actually came out and did it for you, and uh, that was a pretty long time ago. That was going on, what, 25, 30 years ago, maybe? I, I would say so, yeah. So, um, in the days when the the business was different, when they offered these kinds of services, you mentioned that you went and would, would clean out uh, and just haul off the surplus stuff that they had, that's that's kind of cool. Tell us about that. Well, those were fascinating days. And unfortunately for myself, even uh, being in the hobby in 1973, I was kind of towards the tail end of that. I'm very envious of my of a few of my friends that um, collected back in the 1960s. And um, So your interest, though, was in these globes that, that went on top of the pump. And what I learned looking at your website is that these are made out of glass. It doesn't seem like there would be many of them left just because they were so fragile. Or am I off? Or am I no, off base? You're, you're absolutely correct. That's why they are so collectible because many of them were uh, were destroyed, um, and um, and unfortunately, uh, most of them were just thrown away. Mm-hmm. As my uh, writing partner in our magazine calls them, mass market, you know. Uh, giveaways, collectibles, whatever, you know, they, they weren't intended for, uh, you know, to be uh, held on to forever. They were intended to be put on a gas pump, used for a few years, and then uh, destroyed or discarded. Yeah. It would seem like, though, too, that since it was likely, an, you know, these things were put outdoors, that they'd be maybe tougher, stronger. No, we're not talking about the kind of glass that goes into a window pane. Maybe it was a, a heavier-duty kind of a glass? But they, they 
they were meant to be outside, um, you know, to survive temperatures from, you know, 30 below to, you know, 120 degrees, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they would survive that uh, pretty readily. Um, you know, the, the real early globes were all one-piece glass, and the company or logo was, was either fired onto the surface of it or it was etched into the glass. And those were quite hardy. Um, even the later globes, um, they were um, also fired on the inside of a lens that went onto a, either a metal frame, a glass frame, or, a, or the later plastic frame ones. Um, and they were also quite hardy. Um, I know when people come look at my collection or view the ones that I sell, they're amazed at you know the condition that they're in. That most of them are in you know very good condition. And I said, well, what you what you're looking at there are are most of the ones that you know never made it outside. You know, mm-hmm. these were the fortunate ones that were found in buildings and service station attics and stuff like that. But even the ones that were outside, they they were meant to to last for you know many years. Sure. Um, so there's really you don't find a tremendous number of them that that um, have a, a lot of wear on them per se. And, uh, so, but, uh, so did the stations? When did they phase out uh, the glass? globes and start evolving into the more mechanical looking pumps that had the the numbers on them most companies started phasing out globes in the 1950s mm-hmm. and um and the last globes in most cases not all but in most cases those globes would have had a plastic frame with glass lenses and uh, a lot of the newcomers to the hobby they see a plastic frame and they said well that's reproduction and i said no it, it's not um, uh, again uh, these were the last globes and they had the plastic frames, but, you know, again, they had the glass lenses. But by the 1950s, most companies were redesigning and phasing out globes. Uh, a couple companies lasted into the 60s, and there was actually um, uh, a, at least one company that actually used globes all the way up through the 1990s. Now, who did that? Because i I got to tell you, I, I have never seen one. I mean, other than in photographs. The last company we know of that actually used globes was uh, Dixie Oil Company out of Tiffin, Georgia. Okay. Uh, they, they had like a Dixie-looking shield on it, like a kind of a patriotic-looking thing. But what some of the uh, your listeners uh, around the Midwest might remember are the Clark uh, gas stations. Uh, now, they use globes, the uh, familiar orange and black, um, either glass or the plastic frame globes. Uh, they used globes until 1978. Oh, wow. And uh, some stations, even into the early 80s, would still have um, Clark globes on their gas pumps. And and um, uh, I do remember those. Those are really about the only globes I actually remember, um, you know, that still, still were on gas pumps. Uh, here in Ohio, uh, we had a brand called Sohio, which was standard, standard of Ohio. Sure. And they used globes. Quite late too. It's not uncommon to when I used to go looking for gas globes in the seventies, just literally get in my car because you know there's no internet or anything. You just got in your car and you know you could drive out into the uh, uh, you know some of the cities and counties around here, and, and I would find a number of Ohio globes still at on farms and in some of the older gas stations, especially. Uh, but most most of those were gone by the early eighties. That sounds like fun. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Scott Benjamin, who's an author and expert in the area of petroleum collectibles, maybe better said gas station collectibles. And we're talking specifically about the glass globes that used to be on on gas pumps. So, Scott, I'm going to bet that the days of going through attics and uh, closed down service stations to find these things are over. Where do you find new globes nowadays? Well... Find them. Uh, we buy uh, a number of uh, collections that people have just accumulated accumulated these things over the years. Mm-hmm. They might be uh, old company executives or employees or or just someone that just started picking them up a long time ago, and um, you know they've enjoyed them for five, ten, twenty, thirty years, and, and now they're ready to sell them. You know, but um, but believe it or not, they're they're uh, I still get an occasional call where a guy gets into an old oil company or an old attic somewhere, like a service station, and um, they are still being found. No uh, kidding. Up there, it's it's uh, few and far between these days, but it it still does happen. Is it the case that people will find you on the internet and say, "Oh, let's call Scott. He'll want to buy these." Um, is that kind of the way it works nowadays? Well, I mean. 
yeah, I'm lucky, uh, you know, when I can get those calls, and I, I do get a fair amount of them. Uh, of course, a lot of people can go to, you know, sites like eBay and Craigslist and, and you know, and just, just not really do any inf- uh, information gathering. They'll just put them on there and try to sell them. But I do get a lot of calls um, uh, because my website's been around for a while, and um, um, so I'm, I'm, you know, lucky in that aspect, and uh, it makes it fun. Now, you've written about these, and I think you said when we were talking earlier, you've written 13 books about petroleum collectibles. Um, how did you decide, or what made you decide that there was an audience big enough um, to support writing a, writing one book, never mind 13? Well, back in the 70s, um, someone wrote a book, uh, I think in the late 70s, uh, before I had written my first one, and they did pretty good with it. Um, and I really didn't even think too much about doing one, but I was finally approached by someone in the very late 1980s, and uh, I had the expertise in the uh, the gas globes, all the different brands and kinds and values, but I didn't know the company histories. Um, the guy I wound up teaming up to do our magazine with was actually a, 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 a historian on uh, oil companies. He said, well, I know the histories. And uh, so it kind of became a, a, a perfect marriage, you could say. And uh, so we put out a book, and uh, we did get a publisher. So they were willing to take the chance. And uh, I think they originally printed up, I'm, I'm not sure how many books, but I know our first book on gas globes, um, I think they printed like, I don't know, twelve or 15,000, and they all sold. And, uh, wow. And we went on to do many other books after that. And um, and I, I think most of those books did, did all sell out. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's there's quite an audience out there, and and I knew that before we did the book, I was a lot of people would be calling me with questions. They kept saying, "Why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book?" Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the idea really never even crossed my mind. Um, I kind of like what your question was. I didn't know if there'd be an audience out there big enough, and and uh, but the publisher is willing to take a chance on it, and uh, and uh, it it worked out for everyone. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Now. Are your books, are they still in print? Can we, can we go buy them? Some of them are. Many of them are, are not. Um, we did a remake on the Globe books through another publisher uh, back in 1999, and I'm not sure how many of those have sold. I know, I think my last count was somewhere between six and 8,000. It was a two-volume set, um, and that was through, like I said, another publisher. Now, those are still available. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the publishing company is called Schiffer Publishing out of Pennsylvania. But, um, again, that book is now 10, 11 years old. What we're going to do is come out, uh, we thought we would try to self-publish and just market a CD um, where we can have just uh, unlimited numbers of photos and information. And I know some, not everyone's got a computer these days, but right. most people do. But we're going to try to market that, and hopefully in next year we'll have that finished. Outstanding. Yeah, it's uh, it is funny that we just take for granted, particularly in a well on this show. You have, in order to listen to this show, you've got to have a computer. But um, not everybody owns one. But you know, you can always go to the public library and uh, access a access a computer there. I know that um, other people are self publishing their own books and putting them in PDF formats and and putting them on the internet. Um, so we are, I think, living in the golden age of the self-published, whether it's for collections or children's books or you name it. Now is a great time to be doing things like that. Tell, us, ab- with that, yeah. tell us about your website and where can people find you? I have two websites. Um, the one where we offer our monthly magazine. We're in our 16th year. Oh, wow. That is um, TCM publishing.com and PCM stands for Petroleum Collectibles Monthly. Um, You can access that. My other website is my main business, which is gasglobes.com and that is where I buy and sell original gas globes and I do some gas pumps, a few signs, and a few other miscellaneous things. Any vending machines? Sorry, any vending machines in your collection? Uh, No. No? Okay. I, I remember I would, uh, when I was a kid, I would ride my bike to the Texaco station, and they you could get uh, 
even when they were closed, you could use their vending machine. I guess. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess those days are over. Scott yeah. Benjamin, yeah. collecting. Uh, a... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, uh, uh, yeah, those are good memories. Um, uh, I remember my father taking me to a Sinclair gla- a gas station and buying me one of the uh, blow-up dinosaurs. Oh yeah. Uh, um, and um, Sinclair was um, heavily marketed throughout, you know the Midwest, um, they pulled out now back in the seventies, they pulled out. But anyway, I remember going there and buying the dinosaur. And I remember going to Texaco station and buying one of the Texaco, uh, I think they had a, uh, a tanker truck, a metal tanker truck. And, and, uh, those are very collectible these days. Yeah. I never had the tanker truck from Texaco, but I had a fireman's hat yes. Yes. and it had a microphone and a speaker yes. in it. Oh, that was so cool. Yeah. I had one of those. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, believe it or not, if you can get one of those uh, in the original box, they sell between like 250 and $350 these days. Well, I know that the box is long gone, but um, Mom, if you're listening, <laughs> go find the fire hat. Listen, Scott Benjamin, thanks for being on the Collector Show with us this week. Thank you very much. Stay tuned. More of the Collector Show coming up right after this. Well, back with us this week is my good friend, Heather Gallegos, who's back from just a rotten case of the flu, and she has our found collectible of the week. And Heather, welcome back. Thank you, Harold. Hi, how you doing? Well, I'm pretty good. Now, I understand, though, that you had um, just a terrible case of the flu, and you weren't able to be with us last week. I know. I missed everybody, and I'm really sorry that I missed the show, but um, I would not have been in good form. No. No, and um, it's probably better that you just rested and recovered and are back now 100%. I am, totally, 100%. So what have you found for us this week? Well, I thought today it would be kind of fun to talk about Aztec art and okay. how one would either go about collecting it or learning more about it. Um, a funny story, my son, my middle son, is doing um, a school project uh-huh. on Aztec, and so... I was learning quite a bit about it, and I thought, well, this would be a good topic now, for the show. Now, Aztecs, of course, were the native people who lived in Mexico. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, their territory actually went from the Mexican Valley all the way to the coast of the Pacific and the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. And they were in power in that area from the uh, mid-13th century to the early 16th century. So um, a very uh, geographically diverse people, and I'm going to bet that as part of their culture, they had quite a lot to offer. Absolutely. Quite a bit in just in their art. Um, right now, you see a lot, too, about their calendar, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Mayan, which led into the Aztec Empire, that mm-hmm. calendar that they had. Um, but their art is just beautiful. The colors that they use, the different types of pottery, um, the weaving of blankets, quite a bit. Um, their books, too, not many books survive. But those that do, um, they were called codices, mm-hmm. and just beautiful because they're pictograms. You know, they use pictures as their alphabet rather than, like, we use letters. You know, they had a, they had a different form of an alphabet. Sort of like um, the writing the Egyptians had. Absolutely. Yeah. Exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I never understood what the cat eye was or what the uh, the hand thing was in Egyptian writing, or what did you call it, code? Codices. Yeah, okay. But the actual form of language is called a pictogram. Ah. That's, yeah, that's what you call that. Okay. Well, I still don't get it, but anyway. My anthropology background just helping. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank goodness. So, um, in the way of art and collecting all things Aztec, what what can you allow us? How do we start? I think the first thing you really need to start with is learning and reading about the Aztec, their art, their history just so you can kind of appreciate. I think if you understand more about a people, then you'll understand their art because it's a true reflection of their culture. Mm-hmm. And there's several books on just Aztec art in general that would be good primers to get you started. Okay. And a couple of those, one is just called Aztec Art, and that's by Esther Pastori. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. It's a P-A-S-C. 
P-O-R-Y. Okay. And this was published in the year 2000, and it goes for about $25 on Amazon. Hmm. So that would be a really good primer. Okay. There's also The Art of Mesoamerica by Mary Ellen Miller. That's a $15 book. And then there's another one, um, The Art and Architecture of the Aztec and Mayan. It oh. came out in 2008, so that's really quite recent. And that's by Charles Phillips, and it goes for about $10 on Amazon. So, no, when you uh, when you were going through the books, what were the kinds of things that that jumped out at you as far as uh, oh I don't know interesting things about their culture that might be uh, more noteworthy than not other than really? other than calendars <laughs> other than calendars well they were really quite religious and mm-hmm. that ruled every aspect of their life right so their art was a true reflection of their religion. They only, in their art, really depicted either their history, like telling stories of great chiefs or warriors from the past, like Montezuma, for, mm-hmm. for example, or it all focused on religion. So it was takes two tacks. Um, a lot of their art is very functional or utilitarian in that they needed, you know, water vessels to bring water from the rivers. If you think about a large part of the region where they're from, they didn't really have a lot of access to water. So right. Transporting water became a real thing, but the way they decorated those vessels was just beautiful. And, you know, they also wove blankets. Mm. Their woven blankets are called potates, and they were used so much in their homes um, to, you know, do work on the ground, just different well, welcome back to The Collector's Show this week. I'm Harold Nickel, the host of The Collector's Show here on Web Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us. Two fabulous guests coming up in the interview segments of the program. Scott Benjamin, who is an expert on the area of collecting petroleum items, not types of oil or lubricants, but the kinds of things that used to populate gas stations, everything from signs to pumps, and particularly the glass globes that used to go on top of gasoline pumps. He's coming up with us in the interview segment. And in the first interview segment, Andy Zito, who collects snow globes. Andy has not just a huge collection of snow globes, but he owns one very important piece in his collection, a very historic piece from the world of snow globe collecting, and he will tell you about that. And if that weren't enough, Heather Gallegos returns with the Found Collectible of the Week. She'll be talking to us about some Native American art and how to collect that coming up in the Found Collectibles segment. First, as always, the news. And there's a news item here from a website called Numismaster, and it's about counterfeit coins and the danger that counterfeit coins are posing to serious coin collectors. And what they claim is that There are a lot of fake coins that it's easier than ever to manufacture fake coins and that a lot of them are going over some of the popular websites and auction websites, and you know which ones I mean. And according to this article by David Ruff of Numistatic News, the only coins you can really trust are the ones that you order yourself from the U.S. Mints. Not the U.S. Mints, the U.S. Mint. There's only one. Even the coins that have been graded and slabbed have been counterfeited. So for the average collector not to be taken is to collect from the mint and put coins and pull. Things that they use those for, but the actual weaving patterns are just absolutely beautiful. And, you know, textile art is very popular as well. And very collectible also. Absolutely. And I think um, people that collect Native American art they're very passionate about it, too, and they um, they know the history about it, so they know the weaving styles and patterns of the different tribes, and it's very interesting as you get into it, but we don't have, obviously, the time to cover no. all of that, but they are just beautiful. So Aztec art, the original material that was actually um, made by the Native people, it's illegal to own this, if I'm not I- mistaken. That would actually belong to the Mexican government. Um, but you can go to many different museums. If you're willing to make quite a trek, you could go over to the British Museum. Hmm. They have a, a renowned collection of Aztec um, art. So that would be a great, if, if that's something that you really wanted to look at and, and see that their um, exhibit is on, 
fantastic display at all times. There's also the Cleveland Museum, um, and then I believe the St. Louis Museum of Art. They also have the um, Aztec art collections as well. I know just last year, the Field Museum in Chicago had an exhibit, um, and that ran for quite a few months, but I think it ended, I think it was April time frame that in 2009 that it actually ended. So that one's gone, but it's always good to keep your eye open if you're interested in collecting or learning more to see what museums, what you know, exhibits they may have going right. on. And there's also plenty of things available online. I found um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They have several essays and a slideshow about Aztec art. Mm -hmm. And then the Texas Council of Humanities. And they no kidding. Also, yeah, they have um, uh, some things online that would be of interest to people who are looking to either learn more or just looking more at the artwork itself. Or if they were thinking about collecting, you might want to just start there and see. Um, you know, just to learn and what you might want to collect or what were typical things so that you don't buy fake That is so cool. Thank you so much, Heather Gallegos, the found collectible of the week and just a whole universe of things we could learn and collect about Native people from south of the border. Now, Heather, ask me about next week's show. Harold, what are we going to hear about next week on the show? Well, hopefully, if I can get it pulled together, we're going to hear about a different type of stamp collecting. It is called radio stamps. Ooh, yeah. what is that? Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. I will. The other guest in the interview segment of the show will hopefully be from the St. Louis Miniatures Museum in St. Louis, Missouri. And they have a museum of, well, what you might figure, miniatures, little stuff. But Ooh. I'd never heard of either hobby, radio stamps or the miniature museum. So I thought, well, what the heck, I'll contact them and see if they'll be on the show. I'm sure they'll say yes, and um, they'll be on with us next week. Sounds like a fascinating show. Well, I hope it will be. And, of course, we'll have news and a whole new found collectible with Heather Gallegos next week on The Collector Show. Be sure and come back. Thanks for listening. See you next week. If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you some art Thanks for listening to The Collector's Show. See you next week. If I had a million dollars I'd buy your love I'd be rich.